good morning. It's good to see you guys. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new, uh, I want to welcome you for the first time. If you're not new, I want to welcome you back. Uh, we're going to get into our Christmas series next week. Today, we actually close out that series in the book of Ephesians. And if you've been with us for a while, you should know this. Uh, this is our fifth book of the Bible to go all the way through as a church. And so if you've thought, if you've ever thought, I need to read my Bible more, stick with us. All right, we're going to help you with that. We're going to keep churning through books of the Bible and looking to God's Let's get into Ephesians chapter 6 as we close out this book. Take a look at your Bible, your app, whatever you have. We do actually have some brand new hardback Bibles, and so you should be able to grab one right around you. But grab a Bible, look at it with us, Ephesians chapter 6. And as you get there, uh, what we're going to talk about as we end the book of Ephesians is that the Christian life is a struggle. More particularly, it's a fight. Paul uses language like that, and, and what we see in life is that it is a fight. Even if you're not a Christian, as you hit Monday morning, you're awakened to the reality life is hard. If you are a Christian, you see that life is hard. You have sin, sickness, and strife. You have doubt, depression, and death. That life is hard no matter who you are, no matter where you live, life is hard. And I think all of us in this room would agree with that. Where we would differ, and maybe where some of you are unclear, is why it's hard. Like, what are we up against? Who are we fighting with? Is it just my boss on Monday morning? Is it just the coffee maker in the morning? Like, it, what, what am I fighting against? And so Paul is going to walk us through who we're fighting and then how we fight. And then we're going to end it up with that we don't fight alone as we look at this last section in Ephesians. And as we look at those first few verses, look at them with me, verses 10 through 13, we first see who we are fighting, and we need to know who we are fighting. What you see is Paul starts off with this charge. He says, be strong. He says, put on armor. Why? I'm glad you asked, because we're in a fight. And so Paul says, be strong in the Lord. Put on armor. He says it twice, and he begins to explain who we're fighting against. And I was thinking about it this week. When my family and I first moved to Phoenix, we, we had a nice house. It was an amazing house, but it was at the foothill of a mountain in Phoenix. And just a few months into living in this house, we started to realize there was evidence of rodents. And there was evidence like excrement, like we normally see, right? But there was evidence even more than that. Like it's fitting that we're talking about the demonic this morning. Because I'm pretty certain these rodents were demonic. I mean, they, they chewed things. They got into our cabinets behind the dishwasher and chewed our wires, the wiring that goes to the dishwasher, and they, they, they killed our dishwasher. Like, that's demonic, right? What kind of rodents just totally kill our dishwasher? So we had to bring in somebody to fix the dishwasher, and we had to figure out what kind of rodents are these that we have to fight, Right? And so we began to think, well, maybe they're, they're mice. And so we got these little, uh, these little poison baits to, to treat the, the mice. Is that the PC way to say it? We're trying to kill them. We're just trying to treat the problem, right? And so we got these uh, little bits of poison. We put them out in different places. That did nothing. Right? And so we stepped up our game a little bit more. And we got these little mouse traps. And everybody said, you want to put peanut butter, not cheese. I don't know if you know this. Get educated on how to kill mice. Uh, you want to put peanut butter, not cheese, on the, on the bait. And it'll, they'll totally get it. It'll work great. Well, we, what we start to see is not only did it not kill the, the mice, but they would leave excrement all around the mouse traps. Right? It was like they were messing with me. 
And they would just nibble off the peanut butter. They wouldn't grab it as a whole. Again, I tell you, the demonic, right? It's evidence right there through these mice. And so we began to realize maybe these aren't mice. Maybe these are roof rats. And some people started talking to us. Maybe it's their, their rats. And so we began to get bigger traps. We changed out the bait, and we strategically positioned all of these traps inside our house and outside our house. And eventually, listen, we won. The rodents didn't have the last say. We won. We defeated these rodents. But you know how we did it? We realized who we were fighting against, right? We realized the enemy we were facing. It wasn't little mice. It wasn't little cute, like Tom and Jerry mice. No, these were big demonic rodents, rats, right? Once we realized that, then we could have fight them effectively. Listen, it's the same way in the Christian life. And Paul's going to help us with that. That if you don't know who you're fighting, listen, Christian, if you just think, man, life is hard. I mean, relationships are hard. They're messy. I mean, my job is hard, and it's hard to follow God. And you just, it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. You're eventually going to give up. But once you learn who it is that you're fighting, then you can fight well. Then you can be effective in the battle. And that's where Paul is going to help us. And you can write this down if you're taking notes in your bulletin. This is who we are fighting. It is a calculated and collective enemy. A calculated and collective enemy. The first thing we see is that we're fighting against the devil. The devil. And so there's extremes when we talk about the devil, right? Some of us, maybe you grew up this way. You're on this side of the fence, and you grew up where every flat tire you get is the the flat tire demons, right? And everything's the devil's fault. And some of you, you grew up on the complete other end of the spectrum, and you say, hey, listen, dude, you, you ran over a nail. There's not a flat tire demon. You ran over a nail, you're going to get a flat tire. And the reality is, the truth is somewhere in between, isn't it? As you look at Scripture, we're going to see it in a second, Genesis 3, you see Satan show up in the form of a, of a serpent. You see an evil one that is against us. You see it throughout Scripture. Jesus talks about the devil. He says he's a murderer. He says he's a father of lies. Lies. Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. That the reality is we do have an enemy. There is a spiritual work against us. It's not just physical, right? We see that in Scripture too. Like we see take a little wine for the stomach. Right? We see there are physical ailments. People are, are beaten in scripture, scripture. That's physical. But many times what we do in our culture is we just pay attention to the physical. Like just take some medicine. We just pay attention to the emotional. Like you just self-talk and get a self-help book and, and maybe take some, some medication to get you up a little bit, to bring you down a little bit. We just look at the physical and the emotional, and the reality is there is a spiritual attack as well. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see it with Jesus. And so we need to know that there is a devil. There is an enemy, the father of lies, who is working against us. And look how he is working against us in the text. There are schemes of the devil. There's schemes. That means it doesn't come right at you, right? It's not in the spiritual attack from the enemy. It's not, hey, come over and do this. I'm going to destroy your life and destroy everything around you. It's going to be the worst thing ever. And then you're like, devil, that sounds fantastic. Let's go do that and destroy everything I know. Is that the way it works? No. No, it's, hey, come over here. This is going to bring you joy. This is going to bring you prominence. This is going to bring you power. 
And it's enticing, and it's attractive, and it's deceptive because it's a scheme. It looks good. You see it in the beginning in Genesis 3. Like, just come over here and eat some of this tree, the fruit off this tree. I mean, did God really say you can't do that? I mean, really, the reason he doesn't want you to eat of this tree is because he knows you're going to be like him if you eat of this tree. You're going to be like God. You can't get any more attractive than that, can you? You do this, you're equal to God. And so it's attractive, it's deceptive. It doesn't just come right at you, it's a scheme. It's pointed, it's a pointed scheme. Do you ever wonder why you have trouble picking up your Bible? Like, not because it's heavy, right? Do you ever wonder why you have trouble picking this up and dusting it off? You're, you're almost looking at it and you think, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can pick it up today. And I know none of us have a real Bible anymore. We just have apps. But do you ever wonder why you click on so many apps, but you don't click on your Bible app? You think, well, I don't have enough time to do that right now, but I'll click on Facebook and sports and Twitter and all these other things. But, but the Bible app, like, I, I need some really meditative time where I can spend a few hours. I need to retreat into the scriptures, and so I really can't taint them. I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to click on the Bible app. And you ever wonder why that is? You ever wonder why you sit down with your spouse to study scripture together, and you immediately start talking about your weeks and your schedules and something somebody said to you or didn't say to you, and before you know it, you're just like, well, let's just close it up and go to work. You ever wonder why that is? Do you ever wonder why everything breaks on Saturday night? Why the kids vomit on Sunday mornings? Why you can't make it out of the house? Why every other morning your kids are up, they're ready to go? But on Sunday mornings, they don't want to get out of bed. Do you ever wonder why you're like that? Do you ever wonder why you show up grumpy? Do you ever wonder why we're singing songs and Bradley's encouraging you and charging you to sing and you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> you don't know me. I I'm not going to sing. You stand there stone cold looking at the worship team, intimidating them with your looks. You do this. You don't realize it, but you, you do this. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard to sing in church? Do you ever wonder, maybe even right now, you're like, I don't know if this guy knows what he's talking about. I mean, is this really what the Bible says? I mean, can we really trust the Bible? I mean, all my friends, maybe they're right. Do you ever wonder why you have those thoughts when you come to church, when you look at the Bible? Do you ever wonder? It's because there's a, a scheme designed against you. It's pointed, it's precise, that the enemy waits for those opportunities when you're opening up your Bible, when you're thinking about hitting the app, when you sit down with your spouse or your roommate to study scripture, when you, when you think, I should, I should come to church, we should do this thing, we should study God's word, we should follow Jesus. Do you ever wonder, there's an enemy, there's a scheme, it's pointed, it's attractive, that he seeks out those opportunities. He does not want you to sing about God. He doesn't want you to learn about God. He doesn't want you to talk about God. He doesn't want you to follow God. He wants to distract you. And he may not make you a murderer or a full-on liar, but he will distract you just enough where you don't follow Jesus. Whereas we enter into this Christmas season, do you get caught up in everything else but Jesus? He'll distract you just enough because it's schemes, it's attractive, it's precise, it's pointed. There is an enemy you are in a a fight. And some of you will say, okay, Tim, I can get behind that, but what does that look like? I mean, this sounds kind of spooky. Like, are there, are there mystical forces working in my office when I'm trying to study the Bible? Here's two ways 
I think it'll help you to see in Scripture how this shows up, this enemy that we have that's calculated and collective. In Genesis 3, we see it. There's temptation and accusation. Temptation and accusation. So Genesis 3, that's the very first attack of the enemy. We already mentioned it, right? And what you see in there is temptation. Did God really say? We have a lot of that in our culture today, don't we? Like, did God really say this? I mean, Scripture was written a long time ago. Can we really trust it? Did he know? Did, did God know what was going to happen in our culture? Did he understand the context? Did God really say? We experienced that a lot today in our culture. They experienced it at the very beginning, a temptation to not trust God and to trust ourselves that we know better than God. We experienced that today. They experienced it in Genesis 3. And then right after temptation, it's followed up with accusation. We see it in Genesis 3. Shame enters the world. What happens after they eat of the tree? They realize they're naked for the first time. They begin to sew fig leaves onto their bodies, and they go and they hide. That's shame. For the first time, shame enters the world. As, as they are tempted, they give in to that temptation, and then that gives way to accusation. And it's the same cycle today. There's lots of fruit that we are tempted with. We're tempted with gossip and bitterness and anger with others. We're tempted with pride and lust and addiction with ourselves. We're tempted to say, did God really say, is God holding out on me? Maybe this will bring me joy, prominence, power. Maybe I should go here. Maybe I should click here. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should say this. And we're tempted just like they were. And it's attractive and it's precise and it's a scheme that we're tempted into. And then what happens when we give in to that temptation? What happens is the same enemy who tempted us now accuses us. Right? Just like it did then, the shame comes over Adam and Eve. As you give in to that temptation, what seems so great, now you experience shame. That the one who promised joy to you only delivers shame to you. And so there's accusation from the enemy, and, or there's temptation from the enemy, rather. And then there's accusation followed right back up with that. It's because there's an enemy. He's working through his demons. We see uh, earlier that there's a collective effort. It's not just flesh and blood. You look at the text, there's rulers, there's authorities, there's cosmic powers, there's spiritual forces of evil. These are demons carrying out this work to tempt you and then to follow that right up with accusation. And we experience this. We experience this when we sin, when you give way to lust, when you give way to greed, when you give way to gossip. There's a calculated, there's a collective effort behind that. And what happens is as you give in to that, you're tempted, you, you think maybe I should do this, and then you're accused, and, and you think, well, I did these things, like maybe I can't tell anybody about this. Because if I did, they would abandon me, they would judge me, they would condemn me. Have you ever thought that with your sin? You give in to the temptation, then you feel the accusation, you hide just like Adam and Eve, you're shameful, and you think, how could I have done this? 
I mean, how could I be even tempted to do this? I mean, I've been following Jesus for a long time. How is this still happening in my life? How is this sin still there? And you begin to think, how could I even see this as a temptation? Why am I giving in to this? Why did I do this? How could I ever do this? I can't tell anybody about this. I can't go to to church now. I can't look at my Bible now. I mean, how could I ever do that? I mean, God is so disappointed in me. He doesn't love you. He didn't die for that. I mean, he died theoretically for other people that look nice and dress nice and do all the right things and are religious. But he didn't die for this sin. There's an attack against you. And the same one that tempts you is now accusing you. Have you ever felt that? The temptation when we feel that is to hide like Adam and Eve did. But if we look at Genesis 3, what happens? How does God respond to this? God says to Adam and Eve, where are you? He pursues them. And if you continue to read, he still involves them in his mission. And he tells them it's going to be hard. If you read Genesis, you know it's hard. If you read the Bible, you know it's hard. But God still pursues them in the midst of their shame. In the midst of the accusation from the enemy, God pursues them and says, I'm not done with you yet. And he says the same thing to you. He pursues you in your shame. He pursues you even as you hide. And he says, I'm still going to use you. I'm still going to redeem you. And it's going to be hard, but you're going to do this thing. And some of us, we don't like the fact that it's hard. We believe a lie that prosperity gospel tells us. You just come to Jesus and everything gets worked out. And we don't want to admit that it's, it's hard. But listen, it's hard. It was hard in Genesis. It's hard today. And so that's why Paul calls us to stand four times in this passage. That we are to stand, 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 stand. Because our natural inclination when we face temptation, when we face accusation, is to hide, just like Adam and Eve. That's what we naturally do. And some of you do this with your sin, your lust, your greed, your gossip. You think, I've always done this. It's too powerful. It's too strong. I don't know if I can defeat this. And so you cower and you lay down. And you just think, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't have the power to defeat this. And we lay down. And so Paul's saying, no, no, no. It's hard, it's a fight, but you stand in the fight. You don't lay down, you stand. And some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, this is for uh, like super Christians, people who are really doing God's work, people who Satan is really concerned with. I mean, who, little old me, Satan's not concerned with me. Like, I don't know if I need to stand. I don't know if I'm in this fight. Listen, if you are a Christian, you are in the fight. You're in the fight to follow Jesus You're in the fight to be faithful in your marriage. You're in the fight to be godly parents, friends. You're in the fight to to be involved in what God is doing in and through the local church. You are in a fight. If you follow Jesus, you're in this fight with us. And so you need to realize it's going to be hard. God still pursues you, and you need to stand and fight. So this is who we're fighting, and we need to see how we fight. Look at verse 13 through 20 with me. It tells us how we fight once we know who we're fighting as we're all in this together. It talks about using the armor of God. It gives us specific pieces of armor. We're going to group them together so you can look at the text with me. Verse 14 and 17, we see a, a belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit. So as, as we look at that, you need to know that in our culture, we are surrounded by lies. We're surrounded by lies. 
lies about you, lies about our world, lies about sin. And that if we just expose ourselves to those lies, we will succumb to them. And so what Paul is describing is a belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, that it's a belt. You think about your belt, a lot of you have on a belt today, it's the closest thing to you. It's bound to you. That you don't let anything get underneath your belt. That that's what Paul is describing. It's a, a belt of truth that God's truth would be the closest thing to you. That lies wouldn't be able to squeeze in there. That you're secure in his truth. And it's not just defensive, it's offensive. It's like a sword. It's the word of God. And listen, that comes to us in different forms and different expressions. Some of us think about it and we're like, you know, should I listen to podcasts or should I read the Bible? Should I study a devotional book or should I go through a book of the Bible? Should I get together with other people? Should I look at a blog? Should I listen to speakers? Should I come to church and rely upon that for God's word? And listen, the answer to all of that is yes. Yes. You study God's word for yourself. You pick it up during the week. You show up on Sunday. We do it together. You listen to a podcast. You listen to Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated music during the week. You do it all. You tat a verse on your forum. I don't care how you do it. You expose yourself to truth so that all the lies, they don't get in here. They don't get under you. They don't get in you. And listen, there's times when we need people to do that as well, don't we? We need people to speak truth to us. I know just this last week on Sunday morning, actually, I was feeling some spiritual attack and feeling discouraged. We're coming up on the end of the year and our finances are low. And as a pastor, I don't know if you know this, I get discouraged. So I need you guys to to pray for me. There's times where I come up here on a Sunday morning and something happens, something breaks, and I think, man, I don't know. I don't know. Like, are we doing what God has called us to do? Church planting is hard. There's times where I feel that weight. I feel that attack. And, And so Sunday morning, I come home from church. I'm feeling that still a little bit. And a friend of mine, a pastor at another church, on a Sunday morning, I think they have like three services, he took the time, I don't know when he did it, Uh, maybe he wasn't preaching that day, I don't know what happened, but he sent me a text and just said, hey Tim, I just wanted to let you know I came across this verse in Hebrews, I'm praying this over you, I know your your call to this, I know God's going to use you in Phoenix Bible Church to do great things, and I'm here for you if you ever need anything. And I got that, he pointed me to truth, and I began to be encouraged. And I began to talk to my wife and think, man, that's amazing that he would take his time on a Sunday morning to to directly influence me with with truth, that that God set that up, that God is working in this thing, that I love our church, that God's going to do this thing, that we're going to be a church for years to come. And I I love my wife, and I love my life, and and I want to tweet that out and just let everybody know. And what happened is I I went from a place of discouragement and lies to a place of encouragement and truth, and I was driven to go go forward. You need people like that in your life. You need the podcast. You need the Bible. You need the sermon. You need this in this room. You need the rows to sit in, but you also need tables. You also need circles during the week where you gather up in homes, where you meet one-on-one for coffee, where somebody awakens you to the truth of God that combats the lies in your life. We need to have a belt of truth. We need to have a sword of the spirit. And that comes in all different forms. You need to find a way that works for you. I talked about devotionals just practically. Uh, One that's been helpful for me is called New Morning Mercies. 
my wife and I go through this. It's by a guy named Paul Tripp. It's just one page. It's gospel-saturated, Bible-saturated, and I read that. It takes about five minutes, pray, and then we go about our day. I would recommend that one to you. Uh, Last week, as we are in this Advent season, Advent means coming, the coming of Jesus. One way to stay focused on Jesus and truth during Christmas is to go through an Advent devotional. We give you two of these. They're free online through John Piper and Desiring God Ministries. You can download those. Uh, If you want details on those, look at our Facebook page. I think they're still up there. Ask me after the service. You need to bind yourself to truth. These are just some of the ways to do that with community and with yourself. The second thing we see is there's a a breastplate of righteousness, there's a helmet of salvation, and there's a shield of faith in verses 14 and 17 and 16. A breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, that all these deal with the promises of God. That when we trust in Jesus, that he takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. That's the breastplate that you and I wear if you're a Christian. You have his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give away your sin, he gives you his righteousness, your declared righteousness. That you're justified before a holy God because of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. You're saved. That's your helmet of salvation. That you have a shield of faith. Notice it's not a shield of work harder or try harder or white knuckle it. That's not the shield you grab. That today, that's not the shield you grab of like, okay, well, I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to sort out my life. I'm going to get my calendar together. You do those things, but you ultimately you trust in the promises of God that he has made you righteous, that he has saved you. He will save you. That you trust in his promises. We see we have shoes of readiness given by the gospel. That's verse 15. That means that we understand God, God's purposes in the world and that we're ready. We're ready to extend them. We've got our, our shoes on. We're ready with an urgency to proclaim the gospel to other people. It says that we're ready with the gospel of peace, that you and I have shoes on, that we're ready to go at any moment with that. And then verses 18 through 20 says it's all soaked in prayer. Look at that verse. It says, pray at all times in the spirit, with an alertness, with perseverance, with supplication." that you make specific requests to God, that some of these attacks that you're experiencing, some of these temptations and accusations that you're experiencing, you know what Satan wants more than anything else? To keep you quiet. Just to keep that in your head, in your heart. That you would never share that with other people. You would never even share that with God. So he can just attack you. So it can just get at you. And so Paul is saying, no, you you talk to God. That's what prayer is. You talk to God in the spirit at all times. You're alert in that. You persevere in that. Prayer is hard, isn't it? We don't always want to pray. Prayer is hard. We need to persevere and pray, and we need to pray with supplication. You need to make specific requests to God. You need to resist the lie that, man, if I share this with somebody, if I prayed about this with someone, if I asked for prayer for this, if I went to God with this, man, he would be shocked. <laughs> like, Tim, did you really do that? You think you're forgiven now? You think the cross was for you? Do you go to some other people, hey, would you pray for me about this lust, about this greed, about this gossip, about this envy? Th- that we think, well, maybe they'll abandon me, maybe they'll kick me out of the church, maybe they'll shun me, and so we don't pray about it. Listen, 
All of this, this armor of God is saturated in prayer. That's a huge way you attack the enemy, that you go on the offensive, that you talk about this with God, you talk about this with other people. And listen, as we look at the armor that God gives you, here's a really key thing. It's his armor, right? It's the armor of God. So it's not just something he places on you. It's, it's God himself that when Paul wrote this, that most scholars think he had in his mind Isaiah. That in Isaiah you see an imagery similar to this. All of these pieces of this armor describe God as our warrior. And we don't often think of God like that. Typically we think of God as the lamb who takes away our sin, but we don't always think of the lion. And we sing a song like that. There's a lion. God is a lion. He's working and he's fighting our battles for us and through us. And listen, that is the reality. That Paul takes this imagery from Isaiah as it talks about God. That you have the armor of God. That God himself is fighting for you and he's fighting through you. And so sometimes we grew up learning this passage and think, well, I got to put this shield on. I got to grab this helmet, I got to strap up this breastplate. Listen, you do need to be awakened to the reality that that is already who you are in Christ. That's been made available to you in Christ. And so listen, when you think about that, you should be encouraged. You should be motivated to fight because it's not you. It's not your power. It's not your armor. It's the armor of God. The same God who beat Satan, sin, and death is fighting for you and through you. And we need to be awakened to that reality this morning if we're going to fight well. The last thing I want you to see is that we shouldn't fight alone. We see this in verses 21 through 24, that we don't fight alone. These are Paul's closing remarks of the whole book. It's typically something we bypass. We can go ahead and close the book now. But, but I want you to see something really profound in these last few verses. You see a glimpse of Paul's community. You see this guy named Tychicus, right, who he sends to Ephesus. He says, I'm going to send him to you. He's going to tell you how I'm doing, what I'm up to. He calls Tychicus a beloved brother. He references all the Ephesians and says they are brothers, that Paul is saying these people are like family. And I want you to consider this. Paul, right before this, he asked his family, the Ephesians, these fellow brothers in the faith, he asked them to pray for him. To pray for boldness. And just think about what that means. Paul, super apostle, right? Wrote half the New Testament. Missionary, church planner, movement leader. Paul, right? Paul needs a family. Paul needs brothers in arms. Paul needs other people praying for him. Locking arms with him in the battle. And listen, I'm going to go out on a limb here. If Paul needs that, you need that. Right? If Paul needed that in his day, we need that. Every person in this room, I need that. We all need that. We can't fight this thing alone. If you're trying to do it alone, you will fail. Guaranteed, 100%. That's why we gather during the week. That's why we gather on Sundays. Because you can't fight this alone. And so this is who we're fighting. This is how we fight. Let's talk about how we actually live this out practically. I just want to give you three questions to ask. We're going to roll through this really quickly. The first question is this. Are you fighting the wrong battle? Are you fighting the wrong battle? 
some of you, you see that life is hard, right? There's no argument there. You look at your finances, you look at your spiritual life, you look at your relationships, and you acknowledge life is hard. But if you're honest, sometimes when you do that, you don't get angry at Satan. You don't stand and fight against the spiritual forces that Paul talks about. You get frustrated and angry with God. You think, God, why would you put this in my path? Why would you do this to me? Why would you not let me succeed in this? And you get angry with God. If you don't get angry with God, you get angry with others. And we see division in the church. And we fight that battle. And we have friendly fire. And we shoot our own. Listen, what often kills a church is that. Right? It's not Satan. Maybe Satan uses that. But it's ultimately Christians fighting against one another. I saw a guy recently uh, say this, and I think it's honestly a little bit sad but true, is that the most cruel people he's ever experienced in life are people in the church. He also said the most loving people he's ever experienced in life are in the church, and that there's both. We need to see more of the love part of that, right? We need to see Christ's love that we talk about that moves in us and through us to the outside world. We need to see that circulate in this room. And so listen, some of you are fighting the wrong battle. Even this morning, you thought, well, that person didn't say something to me. I mean, nobody really cares about me. Nobody's reaching out to me. Nobody said anything encouraging to me. I mean, Tim, I wish my friend would have sent me that text that, that your friend did. And you start, to, you start to see this fight as against one another. Do you see that? That's the wrong battle. Listen, the people in this room, Christians, even across other churches, we are on the same team. We need to fight the right battle against the right enemy. Are you doing that? We don't need friendly fire. There's enough going on. We don't need friendly fire. So are you fighting the right battle? Is, are your efforts, energies, prayers going towards the right battle? The second question is this. What pieces of armor have you neglected? That story I told at the beginning, you know what the biggest issue was with those rats that were invading our home? There were cracks in the corners of the house, and that's where they would get in. It was a really nice house. On the outside, it looked great, but if you looked closer, there were just little cracks. And some of you, as you struggle with sin, there's little cracks in the armor. Right? You're not hanging on to the belt of truth. You dropped the shield of faith a long time ago. You're filled with doubt, and there's some cracks. What are you neglecting? Where are there cracks in your life? You're not hanging on to some of the armor that, that Paul calls you to. What is that for you? That's the root of the issue. These things are really important. We say a lot, everything matters, not just what you do on Sundays, but what you do Monday through Friday, that everything matters that you want to buckle up the belt of truth every day. You want to hang on God's promises with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. You want to hang on to that every day because there's so many lies attacking you every day. You need that, that every little bit of that matters, that every podcast you listen to matters, that when you think, should I read the Bible, should I swipe and click the app, that that matters, that moment matters. What are you neglecting? Because those things you're neglecting of the armor of God, those cracks in your house, those are leaving you vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. What is that for you? The third question is, what keeps you fighting alone? On some level, every one of, in this, every one of us in this room tries to do this alone at times. What is that for you? Is it pride? 
Like, I, I, don't, I just don't like talking to other people about my junk. I mean, that's my personal business. You need to know that's pride, right? Is it insecurity? Like, if people really knew me, would they still love me? Is it insecurity? Is it sin? Is it you're so caught up in it, you're fearful of condemnation? It's sin that's lying to you? I think this one is a huge one for our culture today, our society, for all of us in this room. Is it busyness? Is it consumerism in the church? You come and you sit and you listen and you're entertained and then you, you leave? Is that keeping you from fighting together? I'll just come and get mine. I'll get fed. I'll take what I need and I'll go about my life. Is that what is keeping you from fighting alone? Is it distra- distraction? That when you think about, I could read my Bible, I could pray with my spouse, I could talk to this guy about Jesus, I could go to church, but, but let me just look at my phone. Let's just watch the game. Let's just sleep in a little bit longer. I got a lot, a lot, lot to do this week. We got a lot going on. I mean, people don't realize this is the holiday season. There's a lot going on. I don't have time to, to join a group right now. I mean, maybe later, maybe one day, maybe I don't have time to get coffee and you're distracted. What is it for you that keeps you fighting alone? The enemy will use that in your life. And we need to be aware of that and overcome that. And then lastly, Paul ends with grace. Verse 24, he says, grace be with all who love Jesus. And so the book ends where it really starts. The title of this series has been Glorious Grace. Thirteen weeks we've been in this series. We finished the book of Ephesians. You finished the book of Ephesians talking about this grace And that's where Paul ends it. As you watch that video that we started off with, this picture of the ocean, that the reality is that spiritually God raises you to life, that you were dead, but by his grace he raises you to life. But he doesn't just raise you to life. He empowers you to fight. The same grace that adopts you, that redeems you, that gives you life, equips you to fight. And so will you stand and will you fight? That's what Paul is calling us to. As we walk away from Ephesians, that, that we would see these truths of what God has done for us, that we have this new identity, that it leads to a, a new activity, and it is going to be a fight. But God's already won the fight through Jesus Christ, that you trust him, you take up his armor, that he is the lion, he's fighting your battle on your behalf, that you win in the end, that Satan doesn't have the last word, that you trust him, that you stand and fight, that we do that collectively as a church. Let's pray towards that end. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to fight through the cross, through the resurrection, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to go at this alone, that we have you We have your word, we have your truth, we have your very armor, God, that we would suit up in that today, that you have called us sons and you've also called us soldiers, that this is a fight, that we wouldn't cower from that, we wouldn't run from that, we wouldn't avoid that, we wouldn't walk away and say, well, that's a little extreme. No, we would recognize the fight, who we're fighting, and you would show us how we can fight in our lives and in our church. God, help us empower us, equip us to fight well for your glory and our joy. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.